Welcome to today's episode of Charting Tracks. First, here's our annoying legal disclaimer. All views expressed are our own and do not indicate the opinions of any employers or clients for whom we work. The recommendations or advice given in this podcast may or may not be right for you, depending on the circumstances. Please bear this in mind before taking any action. Your hosts for this episode are Ben Hennessy Garside, who is a voice coach, a multi-instrumentalist, music composer and producer, previously was an A&R scout at Faith and Hope Records, and is currently a lecturer at Leeds Conservatoire, where he teaches voice on the popular music course, and he is a father of two. Chris O'Gorman is a digital marketing strategist. He previously was digital manager at Sony Music and former head of digital at Capitol Records UK. He runs a digital marketing agency and he works on artist development, branding and marketing. My name is Amir Yacoub. I am a record producer, a Grammy award-winning audio engineer. I'm co-owner of Bison Productions, which is a facility in East London, which provides music production and podcast recording services. And I am director of Garnish Music Production School in London. You're listening to episode number nine of Charting Tracks, which is part two of a conversation on the art of recording. So, um... Once we step into the studio, whether whether prepared or not prepared, um, there's a <laughs> there's certain things we can expect to see in the studio, and these tend to be the things where a producer or an engineer is really going to, you know, be able to take control. So if Chris comes to my studio, in our hypothetical situation, although it doesn't have to be hypothetical, Chris, you can come here anytime. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> If he comes to the studio and um, he's says, I'd love it if we could put this kind of instrument down. And um, I don't really expect him to jump in my seat and then start to be plugging stuff in and knowing how my studio set up and all of this kind of stuff. Um, so kind of coming back a little bit to what Ben said, the role of particularly the engineer in this situation would be to provide, uh, let's just put it this way, technical support. Um, they know the science behind stuff. They know the science behind, you know, how microphones work, what microphone are good on what instruments and yada, yada, yada. Um, and sometimes I suppose uh, quite unfairly, um, their role can be seen as something which is purely technical slash scientific, but obviously there is an art to recording and um this is something that we want to start to open up a little bit so i'm going to start with ben ben when it comes to an engineer and you've done a bit of engineering of course as we all have in same some way shape or form what do you what do you see them as being responsible for so yeah the engineer is like you said, um, placing the microphones, positioning the microphones, choosing, making the microphone selection, um, using the right uh, input gear for that. You know, so if, if there's a desk in there or some preamps or um, there's other decisions to be made about whether you want to put any processing on the sound. Usually these days, the processing is put in afterwards, so you've got more flexibility. But some engineers like to, say, compress or something on the way in. Um, it, 
there's also decisions to be made about the format. I mean, more most recording these days is done digitally. Um, but even then, there's a question of okay, well, what file sizes and you know all that kind of kind of thing. Um, usually, you want the largest bit rate and the um, largest um, uh, sample rate that you can get away with because you're going to have the highest fidelity. But not always, you, you know. Um, sometimes, sometimes you might want to record in with a purposefully like uh, crunchy. Um, messed up sound yeah like lo-fi like a lo-fi kind of thing and 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 go for a low sample rate and a low bit rate or you know it's it's highly unlikely that that will happen but it's up to the engineer um in discussion with with the producer or the artist if they're self-producing definitely um to make the equipment uh work for whatever's the aesthetic requirements of the the recording are mm-hmm. um so there's all that and then but then there's there's you know there's just plugging in all the leads right because you know if you've got a drum kit and there's you've you know you're you're multi-miking it and you've got 12 mics on the kit and you're recording <laughs> a bass at the same time and the bass players lugged their massive bass rig so even though you you're probably going to end up just using a di box anyway the bass player still they, they want to have their bass rig mic'd up <laughs> So then, you know, then you've got to set that up. And so maybe you've got then a DI DI feed from the bass and then a mic off the bass amp. Mm. Um, and then, you know, same for guitars. You can multi-mic guitar cabs, right? You, you know, you, you could be dealing with, well, any number of inputs and somebody has to plug all those different mics in, put them in all the relevant slots, you know, in, into the system, whether that's using an audio interface or, or going into a, a desk. Mm. Um, and then make sure that all of that stuff lines up and works in the, if you're using digital audio software and that then also needs to all be labeled correctly. So your kick drum needs to be your kick drum. So you know that if you, if you raise or raise or lower the fader that you're making the kick drum louder or quieter, not some other instrument. Mm-hmm. If you've multi mic the kick drum, well, which one, you know, so all of that kind of, um, all of that stuff I see as the engineer's job as well. Sorting out the monitoring, like if if maybe you've made this recording and you've got a hundred different tracks of audio being recorded and you're doing the final take for the vocal, well, which of those hundred tracks of audio does the vocalist want to hear and at what level? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's managing all that too. Um, I would expect them to know their space. Mm. Right? I mean, it depends, you know, it depends if, if your location recording or whatever... Um, Perhaps you can perhaps you can spend a bit of time in the session figuring that stuff out. But even then, I'd I'd like them to to have done a bit of a recce on the space in advance, if possible. So, you know, where are the spots in the room that you get like a little bit of uh, maybe a little bit of a bass boost or a high end boost or a you know or if you're working in a space that you've tuned so that there isn't very much of that stuff going on, mm. then you've been involved in the setting up of that space. And so you, you, you know, all of that because, um, as, as you're probably deeply aware of me, like whereabouts in a room, something's recorded, makes a massive difference in, in, in terms of the timbre of that, of, the, of that sound. It, it's not as simple as just having an instrument and putting a mic in front of it and playing it. It's like, where's the instrument placed, right? Um, is the musician comfortable? 
Mm. Um, whereabouts, where's the microphone placed? Yeah. Um, what are the what are the surfaces in the, in the room? Are they are they hard, bright surfaces? So you're getting loads of reflection. Are they soft, squishy surfaces? So you're you're not getting much. But then things might start getting a little muddy if there's too much of that. So there's all of this audio stuff. That's the engineer's realm. You you've pretty much summed it up there. Just to pick up on something that you were saying, mm. um, in my time as an assistant engineer, one of my jobs was to know the space that I was in. Right, and actually. Um, when I would be um, at the studios, I could be working in, in any one of four rooms. Mm. Um, so the studios, Metropolis Studios, had four potential rooms that I could be in. All of those rooms had had a different console in them, as in a mixing console, mixing desk. Mm. Um, different, but in most cases, fairly similar rack gear. So outboard EQs, compressors, delays, reverbs, yada, yada, yada. Um, and they were all different spaces. So my job was, even if there wasn't an engineer there, um, I would be responsible for knowing, oh, that guy plugged into that guy. And like channel number seven on the desk is a little bit noisy, so we don't want to use that. Or I can't plug <laughs> into this stage box because, you know, it's dead. And, you know, I'm waiting for a tech to sort that out. Or let's move you to this corner of the room because we can get a good low mid build up on the guitar sound, whatever it is, right? That mm. was really my role. My job was to know the space and to know the technicality of moving signals around. Yeah, and, and you also pointed out knowing the gear as well. Like that's, oh, that, that channel's a bit noisy. Like, <laughs> for some reason it's got yeah, stack on it all. It's always the way, yeah. And that's the thing, when you're paying like, you know, from management or label, whatever, when you're paying a fair bit of, fair bit of money to, per day. And also when you've got a limited artist time mm -hmm. and you're like, we've got a day and we need to get everything done because we're flying out yeah. to do a show. Like that, have, saving that precious time mm -hmm. when somebody knows instinctively that channel, blah, 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 and it, the whole process runs more smoothly is, uh, is, is invaluable. It's... Definitely. And, you know, um, that took um, education. Um, and obviously, I picked up my education along with you guys uh, in Leeds. But also, it took education in that space. Um, it took education on those particular consoles with those particular, the way that the rooms were wired and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, I mean, that was essentially my role. Um, and, and as an engineer, when I moved into being an engineer, my role was to know the space, but also to, also to be able to communicate appropriately with the producer and the artists in order to uh, get the sound that, there was, that was required. So it would be my choice as to what microphone I set up, um, because I then... I'm able to go, actually, I can set up this microphone. I didn't physically set it up. Uh, a system would set it up for me because I'd move up the ranks, luckily. Mm. Um, <laughs> but um, so we know that what the role of an engineer is. And, and, you know, let's talk a little bit about the role of a producer. So, Chris, coming back to our little narrative we've got going on, um, our story that we've got happening, you come to me as a producer what do you expect from me? What do you expect from a producer? Um, 
so I would think that they would craft the overall sound of the record um, that they would kind of have in mind. I mean, I, I suppose like the artists coming would have certain ideas already, would have like some, maybe some references and be like, I sort of want it to be like this, but, but then the producer will make that tangible. We'll put that, we'll translate that vision that the artist has into, um, into, into the, the actual product. So then we'll uh, almost dress the song i suppose we'll have like the bare bones song and then we'll just start putting the meat on it and then address it and build it and um, the instrumentation and you know so all of the create so the arrangement and uh what instruments they should have on it what those instruments should play on it um that's what i would think that they would bring to the whole process to then take that bare bones of a song and then make it a recording make it a an actual production right okay yeah so in in the role of the producer you you know one thing that you mentioned and i'm going to pick up on this properly in a second when you said to dress mm. the song i'm going to pick up on that in a second um there's a very a quote that has stuck with me forever mm. and i always use it when i'm talking about production particularly ben anything to add to that about the role of a producer um so yeah this the, I, I i like that dressing the song right because um quite often when you've got like a band right and you've already done quite a lot of the arrangement work already mm. and you and you show up there's there's something about the recorded medium that often requires something more right mm. um whether that's some additional instruments um or some kind of some effects or processes or um re um reimaginings to kind of create the um the recording um th that extra stuff that feels to me like the producer's job now mm. sometimes the producer might hear the song and be like it's pretty much there mm. we just need to make a decent we just need to mm. capture a, a but them knowing that the song's yeah. pretty much there, at least at least pre-mix. You know, it might be there might be a bunch of mixing decisions that will add that sparkle, right? So Doesn't that require an immense amount of skill and experience to know that though? Because I I would think that oh god, I'm the producer. I have to whack all these things on it. To, but actually, like you said, I think you used an. I can't remember Ben or Amir. One of you said like used. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name that produced most of Adele's stuff. Paul Epworth. Yes, Paul Epworth, yeah. That knew, ooh, that is pretty much there. We just need some... Uh, now, isn't that... Because I, I would think, oh, God, what am I going to do with this? I need to... <laughs> throw things on it. You throw we things a at string it. Section. Yeah, we yeah, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have strings, right, right. we're going to brow, we're going to brass. Like, put some synths you... on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so knowing that, ooh, it's pretty much there. We just need a little bit of... How do you know that? How do you... Is that just experience, like from from both of your perspectives? What would you know? Um, I think discernment. Uh, so being able, and, and it's about it's about a lot of the stuff we've talked about in in previous. Like, what's the artistic persona? What's the what's the mm. what's the vision for the artist? Um, is there any is there any is there any style? Uh, you know, stylistic implications. Are there any? Um, but, it, but it's more than that. There's, it's it's. Um, yeah, it's it's. Do you know the artistic persona? 
Do you know what the label's going for? Do you know what the artist themselves wants from the project? Um, when the artist turns up, do they have all of that? Mm. So, like, you, you take Adele, right? And we've already talked about there's something of the um, ordinary person about about her, or at least there, certainly there was. You know, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if the music changes um, at all. Um, now there's been this this stuff around her, her, her losing weight, but um, th there's something of the ordinary person about that. And so that feels like an adequate, like a decent aesthetic judgment, knowing that on, on behalf of um, of the producer there in that moment. It's like, yeah, it's, it's she's an ordinary person. She stood bare piano. She's just singing mm. her heart out. Mm. Like yeah. that, that, that sense of... Um, uh, stripped backness, quote unquote, is kind of feels aesthetically right for Adele. Right. Like it, right. you know, it makes sense. So I, I understand why that that might be might be the case. You've got an artist that's more like I don't know what, like a Beyonce or something, right? It's all pizzazz. Mm. Well, there's a lot more pizzazz. Well, then you might there's other decisions to be made. But then she's made some great records with not much on as well. Actually, mm. you know, there's some w gorgeous Beyonce records where there's not much going on um, yeah. and that in a, but in, an, in, in itself, there's, there's a aesthetic um, judgment being made. And so that judgment, that discernment, being able to know what the vision is and, and make sure that the record is carrying that vision. Mm. That's, that's what the key is. And, you know, that's where the art starts really, isn't it? It's when, uh, it's when you make an artistic decision to either go all the way or, mm. or strip it right back or go somewhere in between. Um, mm. For me, the word that sticks out there is vision. Um, having a strong vision and being able to deliver the vision of the people that you're ultimately serving. So I see when I think of I being a, when I think of being a producer, I think of serving my clients mm. as it were. Yeah. Um, but in an artistic way rather than in, in any other way. But, you know, yeah, I'm delivering a product, but, you know, serving whatever their vision is. If it's the artist who says, I want to make a record which sits alongside, I don't know, a record from the 70s, then I'm going to deliver that vision. Um, it's also about something that we talked about, confidence. Uh, we've talked about confidence in the past, and I think it's important to be confident in your... Like so, one thing that one thing that really screams out insecurity is 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 trying to throw any everything in the kitchen sink at the production. Mm -hmm. So when you start to strip stuff back and you start to put stuff there in your productions mm -hmm. because they are supposed to be there and because they're serving a purpose, that's when you start to show that you have confidence as a producer. Maybe also. Um, alongside confidence, you could think of like having a bit of a daring nature. So if people are really overproducing records in this era of time and you have a record which is completely stripped back, you're being a little bit more daring. You're going against the grain. So as a producer, people can or producers can tend to go, let's dare to do something different. Let's really stick out from the crowd. If everyone's doing something really glossy and hi-fi, um, or lo-fi, you do doing some opposite stuff to that. Um, going back to what you said, though, Chris, um, and this really sums it up for me. When you talked about dressing a song, um, so 
John Mayer, and funnily enough, before we started this podcast, Ben sang a line from one of his songs. <laughs> um, so it was written in the stars that he would come up. Uh, John May is a fantastic musician and artist, of course. I remember on his Instagram once he said, a song is like the body and production is like the clothes. So mm. the song being the body is going to be the song, no matter how you do it. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about when we talked about the Dolly Parton test and stuff like that. Yeah. But the clothes, um, Chris mentioned someone like Dark Child and Timberland. You gave them the same song, they're going to produce it two different ways give that same song to Paul Epworth he's going to produce it a different way they're putting different clothes on the song is still the same yeah and I think the producer and the clothes that they choose to put on that's what it's all about they can choose to you know obviously alter to some degree um the form of the song so they might go that double chorus at the end screw it let's just go to a bridge again um they will have a say over that, but the essence of the song will always remain the same. Um, so when we talk about composition, we talk about all of the things that we have talked about, our lyrics, our tam, tam, tipful, tiptal. <laughs> yeah. um, tam, that, tiptal. That, that sort of form, forms part of the song and the production. The, the clothes and the producer is there to clothe that mm. thing. Everyone has a different aesthetic. Mm. Um, and that's what we can kind of expect, right? That's the thing, isn't it? Aesthetic is interesting because, and like the thing you were saying about confidence as well, and you mentioned Dark Child and um, uh, Timberland, I think it was, um, because I know that we've had, you know, for developing artists, for instance, we'll get some hot new producer and we'll or like say we've got an artist that we're sort of wanting to reposition or wanting to do something a bit different and we'll get this new hot new producer that's got this sound that's working and they'll get this artist and be like oh this is a big artist and then they go oh i need to check out what this artist has done and they end up then producing something like what the artist has done before and it's like no, yeah. no, no no the reason we're coming to you is because we want your sound yeah yep yep we don't want like we we've come to you for the dark child sound we've come to you for we've come to you hot new producer for your sound not to do what the artist has already done and um, I think that's, you're right, what you're saying is like the confidence and um, it, it takes confidence to know that, hey, they're coming to me for what I do, so I'm going to give them yep. what I do. Yep. They can take it or leave it, but it's going to be what I do. And, you know, this is something that I've learned quite recently and um, in, um, in working with different people at different levels, you, there's, there's always an expectation that you're going to give that person um, their if they had a song which was called, you know, Feedback, for instance, mm. um, it was that was just on my screen, so <laughs> um, Feedback. <laughs> um, it, 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 if they've got a song called Feedback, you're going to give them the new version of Feedback, and it's like, right. no, they didn't come to you for that. They, 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 they came to you for a new song, a new sound, maybe, and whatever it is. Um, and there is a lot of confidence that needs to go into that, um, if previously they've been working with someone that you really admire, for instance, it might be like, oh, this person's coming to me, yeah. um, but they've been working with that person and that person and they're 10 times better than me and all this kind of stuff, having the confidence to do that. And this kind of goes back to talking about engineers, talking about studios. Certain people go to certain studios and certain engineers mm for the very same reason mm. that they go to a, a certain right. producer. So for instance, for me, 
I, I've always been like, um, I would love to record in Westlake Studios in LA. Um, and people say, why? And I say, because, you know, they only made Thriller there, you know? Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Th- and that's my draw and my attraction because I'll go and I'll, and I'll get the sound of Michael Jackson. I, of course, I won't get the sound of Michael Jackson because I'm not recording him, right? Mm. But, you know, um, but I'll soak up the energy and the vibe of where that was recorded and maybe that will bring something out of me going back again to you know performance and stuff like that engineers particularly mixing engineers people that we haven't really spoken about that much um because they're not in this part of the process so much but people go to certain mixing engineers because of their simple fact that they they love the way they mix the vocals or mix the drums or you know there's one of my favorite engineers called Manny Marikin, um, he, the way he processes his delays, they always sound amazing. Um, and um, they'll go to them for that specific reason. Um, and picking up on that word aesthetic is what it comes back to because technically um, the best five mix engineers in the world, they know all of the exact same things. Um, mm. They just choose to focus and process certain things in certain ways. Um, and have their own styles. They have their own styles, exactly. So this is one of the things that I think is is quite an important thing to talk about as well. Style. Um, many people think that when it comes to technical roles uh, like engineering or even uh, production, um, which is classed as more creative, mm. um, but it's, it's 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 still a depending on how we define a producer, is mm-hmm. is still a technical role, mm-hmm. um, style. There's a lot to say about style. Um, perhaps if we haven't really concentrated on this before today's podcast, then we should take a little beat to talk about style. Um, stylistically, you can choose to record something in in any given way, and it's gonna send a message, right? So let's say um, we take what Ben was saying earlier um, and Ben was talking about um, lo-fi recordings being done uh, lo-fi on purpose. What is the message behind that, Ben, to you? Well, um, there's a hearkening back. Um, There's something retro about it. There's something of the 80s... um, that might be that might be something um that you're saying um the other thing that you might be saying is uh, this message is opaque somehow mm. right it's not coming f- through with with clarity mm. um, um and so that what does that mean well what does it mean right when 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 something isn't being said clearly, mm. um, there's a ruggedness to it. There's a mysteriousness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the you know the, the the thing with like shininess. Like I mean, it, if if we shift, if if we uh, try try a metaphor out, right? You have a table. Okay, it's made of wood. Like, do you buff and shine up the table, or do you leave it rugged looking and kind of like, mm. you know, closer to how the wood was? originally when it was first cut right in using like lo-fi sounds there's a grittiness that 
you that, that you're that you're reaching back for um you get a you'll get a similar but slightly different effect from kind of trying to mimic um like it, like, like the the sound of a, it being played back say on a vinyl record mm-hmm. or the um sometimes people will put like obviously recordings used to be made on reel to reel tape and you'd get kind of like a slight um uh, shift in the the pitching yeah as, of course as, yeah as the as the tape mm. so that's right you might choose to reach for something like that for something similar as well mm. um so yeah yeah there's some some potential uh, artistic uh, mm. outcomes as yeah. as a result of choosing to go lo-fi yeah and I, I see this is the thing and it comes kind of comes back to style so chris mm. i'm going to ask you now uh, stylistically if we were to make something glossy and shiny what would we be saying what's the message mm. um as 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 a listener or as as the artist or as the listener what's the message is there what do you think um I suppose it's like it sort of comes back to what we discussed in previous episodes about like artist archetypes and stuff like that. So I feel like if you're going to make something super glossy and um, it's sort of like, I don't know, maybe your archetype is the ruler or something like that, where you're trying, it's like about status and it's about, uh, you know, maybe I'm getting too, 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 you know, deep into the no, symbolism no, not at all. But, no, no, but no. I feel like that was probably what it would be. Whereas if I was like, if my artist sort of archetype is like the, um, the explorer or something it might be i just want this to be you know the guitar is the main sort of guitar and vocals the main thing and it's quite you know it feels like you could travel with it and it feels like you know it's not grounded it's not rooted it's uh you know it might be instruments that's like there's a guitar and then there's like i don't know um, uh, another guitar and maybe a mandolin or something on it i don't know mm. like you know <laughs> like it's that's kind of what that would be like the fit the instrument may be manifestation of that mm. um or if it was you know like a lot of sort of program beats and sort of uh that type of production might be more well this is you know uh you know it's more of a a club type track or it's going to be something that's more this is to be enjoyed um by you know people um is it, you know it's not there to be sat and listened to and like hmm thought of it it's there to be danced to and, and yep. you know yeah um so i suppose if i um yeah because it might be that i'm coming and bringing like oh this is kind of my sort of introspective little song that i've written and it's kind of yeah and then you're like right we're gonna put loads of drums on it <laughs> it'd be like Oh, but then actually having said that, maybe that could be that something really interesting could come out of that. Yep. Yep. True. Sometimes yep. I suppose it's like the rules and then you break the rules, but you have to know the rules first. And the, there's always the exception to the rules. So, so sometimes you do something, but you're doing it knowingly, aren't you? You're doing it knowing that you're trying to achieve something different. And by doing that, what you is something that you wouldn't normally do. You wouldn't put like a really introspective kind of reflective acoustic song and whack loads of production on it but actually you might if you were trying to do something new and something completely sort of different and you're trying to break the rules intentionally then maybe you would 
Yeah, definitely. And and I mean, all, all of this stuff really speaks to the art mm. of recording, um, kind of bringing it back to what we were talking about. Artistically, we can make these decisions, which send these messages mm. to people, right? So um, considering everything that you guys have said specifically um, in, in just that passage there, um, it comes back to, I can choose to... Mm use a really bright microphone for a vocalist um but if if really and truly they're trying to get a record which sounds quite dark and moody why the hell am i going to do that i can choose to eq something to be dark and moody but if they're trying to do something which right. is quite clearly right um bright and uplifting i'm not going to do that right so that's the kind of there has to be um the mm. cohesion in all of the elements and, and this is outside of also just the music. We're thinking about cohesiveness with the um, right. archetypes, um, co cohesiveness with the social right. media strategy. Um, let's, for instance, um, Chris says, there's this really good VHS right. filter that <laughs> yeah. we've got. And um, considering that you're making music, which sounds like it's from the 80s, let, maybe we can use that for all of your yeah. social media posts. And you could start to see... Then there's a consistency the and a brand identity, yeah. Exactly. And um, and that goes back into authenticity right. and, and the things that we spoke about about to do with that. And when you think about style, and we can think about style in, in diff so many different ways, um, how the artist is going to be branded in terms of imaging, et cetera, et cetera. The style of your record is going to be something that you're going to want to consider down to the very minute details because it's going to end up forming so much of yeah. who you are as an artist and those people around you, um, like your producers and engineers and et cetera, et cetera. They're going to be important people in in that, in that developing that style with you. Um, it's kind of like if you go for a photo shoot, you will probably have a photographer who has a style and a stylist who has a style um and it's of, of course you can self-shoot and lots of people do that to save money and because they want to be creative and artistic themselves mm. however you're not going to get the same results and necessarily uh, you're going to get maybe better results maybe worse results but you're going to get different results right um so and and what you were saying uh particularly at the end there chris reminded me of a um of a, a documentary I saw with Nile Rogers mm. where he was talking about working with David Bowie and David Bowie came to him and he started playing a song to him um, and he just started playing this very average sounding song mm. and obviously Nile Rogers is sitting there going cool 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 10 minutes later he was like well what if we did this mm. and he started playing what we now know as Let's Dance yeah <laughs> uh, the the version that we now know um it's just kind of like you know obviously bowie being one of the most amazing artists of our time and of all time actually mm. um sitting there playing it to Nile rogers and and, and Nile rogers goes um um uh, you know I, I think this is in his own mind i'm sure he never really said this out loud uh, i think this is quite distinct average yeah and, you know yeah um so how can i bring a style to this and and then obviously bang you go you've got one of the biggest records yeah. of the 80s right um yeah so yeah when i talk about style i i, I suppose 
that kind of sums that up for me. Anything to add to that, guys? Um, yeah. Um, I, I, so I, I just want to point out that um, contradictions exist in our lived experience, right? This thing about it, things always needing to be smoothly mixed. Well, there's something inauthentic about that too, right? Sometimes all the different elements in a project, you know, from uh, the the recording to the composition to the uh, uh, branding to the fashioned all of it just all needs to point in the same direction fine mm. but often it, it it doesn't often the like these contradictions they're expressions of things right um and actually i think let's dance as a record as an example of that i know what you mean like you you've there's because obviously you've got this kind of like there's like a funk backing going on yeah mm. yep, and yep. then you've got bowie doing his like english thing yeah and and it's like it's it, there's a kind of they're sort of in some ways pointing in different directions, yep. but it's just great. Mm. You yep. know, I know what you that, mean. And also like, let's dance, right? Like it's, it's pointing to um, a truth, right? Which is you might be English or you might be from, you know, New York in the seventies, mm. whatever. Right. But we all like to dance, mm -hmm. you know, and there's this kind of like kind of sultry thing in the vocal. Let's dance. There's a, there's yeah. a kind of like, there's a sexual charge to that too, which, yeah, you yeah. know, which comes from dance and you know, that's, it's, that's a very human thing. Yeah. Um, so there's this part that's, that's the same. And then there's also these other oppositional forces at work. Mm. Um, and so sometimes creatively it, it makes sense. To point in different directions with mm. different parts of your offer yeah. and th this thing about your offer being everything is an art everything is an artistic choice right mm -hmm. yeah definitely so and quite often musicians because we're musicians get focused on the music and that's we think that that's all there is to what we're doing um but the the recording process there are um, a bunch of codes conventions um, there's a whole artist lineage of aesthetic and artistic um, practices that's evolved over time. Like it's it, it's it's a it's a piece that needs to be taken seriously as an art form, mm -hmm. not just as a. W these are the people in suits who need to set up the microphones because they understand science and they will just reproduce everything that that we perform. Um, they will reproduce that exactly as we perform it in the space in that moment right mm. um and there's a place for that as well isn't there of yes of yeah. and, and to say that I'm, I'm not saying that um that that can't happen yeah right you know and there are some engineers that will do that for you right yeah. they're, they're just there to capture whatever it is in the in the space like i don't know if they're miking up the albert hall for the proms like they're just there to right we want as accurate as is physically possible to what it sounds like mm -hmm. in that room. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they're that's what they're after, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um the truth is though, is that in in saying that, like that also can't exist, right? Mm. Like mics have frequency responses. Yeah. Yep. It's always even even the flattest even the flattest yeah. frequency response like mic, there's there's going to be uh, slight differences at different distances. There's going to be slight differences depending on the yeah. um, on the um, on the room. Uh, uh, but that's a good point, isn't it? Because in the room, are uh, if I'm up in the gallery, 
I'm going to hear something slightly different to somebody sitting down in the stalls who's going to hear something yep. different to somebody uh, in the, I don't know, that's hearing it uh, from the arena floor. So yeah, there's, yeah. there's no true, true. True. Uh, and and the, Yeah. And the point with all of that is it's not just like a flat process. Mm. Yeah. There's, there's a, a lot of depth to the recording process. And um, even when you're trying to reproduce like a flat, flat response mm. like you can't just do that yeah. there's there's a whole heap of other um other processes to run through mm. um so just reiterating that thing that the, the recording process is as much a creative a potential creative space mm. as mm. any other aspect of of your practice recording engineers and uh that are just as creative with with mic placements and all of that as as somebody as a composer or mm. as a producer so this is exactly what i was going to say um i was going to say um we we talked about westlake studios we talked about thriller we talked about michael jackson recording vocals and the engineer on that bruce swedien um i've read like two of his books and listened to about 500 interviews um, <laughs> he said that when he recorded michael jackson to record his backing vocals, he asked him to step backwards from the microphone to record one harmony. And then when he recorded that harmony, he'd ask him to step back again and then step back again. And he could kind of get the imaging and, and, the, and the feeling of a choir instead of having just record all his vocals in this in the same position on the microphone he created the depth and the distance that way he also um, i believe for billy jean he created a tunnel for the kick drum so he had like the kick drum on one end and and a microphone on the other and which gave like a a, a special sound um and also, there's that bit in Billie Jean, um, which is don't think twice, don't think twice. Um, Michael Jackson sang the second one, actually shouting <laughs> into a tube. Um, <laughs> I'd, assumed, I'd assumed it was an effect put on afterwards. I mean, it sounds like a delay, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, he, that, was, that was tracked. Yeah. With, <laughs> uh, yeah, with Michael Jackson shouting into a tube. And, and even if you think of a modern um, one, a modern example, um, I... And this was really funny because this is a very second, third hand story. Um, but someone was talking to me once and they were like, um, a friend of theirs um, uh, got into, got back to dinner with them or whatever. And they, they, they went, you'll never guess what just happened. And, and my friend was like, yeah, what happened? <laughs> uh, he was like, I was just in a studio and, and Pharrell was working on a song mm. where he was using a spray can. And he was just going, Shh, sh. and and it turned out that that song was um, "Drop It Like It's Hot" by Snoop Dogg, and if you listen to the record, you can hear it. Shh. Um, he's using a spray can of compressed air to do that. So, I mean, there's so much creativity, mm. uh, which obviously makes for great stories on podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But also, actually, and it great it provides great marketing as well. I have to say, because stuff like that is gold when i hear something like that i'm like excellent that's going to be in the interview that's going to be that gives us so much it gives you loads of stuff to start talking about yeah exactly and you know um it used to be like you know um uh, obviously as you guys know i'm a big fan of pharrell and mm. the neptunes and 
you know, all of that. Um, how do they get those sounds? And apparently the engineer used to take these specific buckets around with them. Um, uh, every session they had that, you know, he'd hit a pattern with a beater and that would be their drum sound for their kick drum. Yeah. So they would uh, have that sound and layer it with another sound and all that kind of stuff. And And this is what kind of creates that separation and, and makes it a bit more artistic, a bit more creative, um, but also gives us some wonderful things to talk about on a podcast, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah. So the final point that I want to talk about today is um, recording yourself, which we've kind of spoken about a little bit, but also producing yourself. What are some of the things that you can expect to encounter um, maybe some of the good things, some of the bad things, some of the frustrations, um, so on and so forth. I'm going to start with Chris here. So, Chris, um, if I said to you, sorry, mate, <laughs> I love that our story has lasted this long, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you were to come to me with your sketches from mm. from your home studio and, and I said to you, sorry, Chris, you're going to have to produce this record yourself. Right. Um, a, is that daunting? And Yes, first of all. <laughs> Of and course, B, that's, that's what. And B, what do you think you have to do in order to to get there? God. <laughs> First of all, I'd have a freak out and be like, okay, how can I do this? And then I think once I got over that, it would be um, going back to my reference sort of material, like what I, what I sort of had in mind when I was like writing it, you know, um, and to try and have sort of a, some, some, two or three sort of reference points of like, that's what I'm sort of trying to go for. Yeah. Um, and I would note that just, I think just what there would become, I think what my own abilities are would be the focal point there because I don't, I can't program beats and I can't do any of that stuff. And, but what I can do is play guitar and I can play piano and it's, and I can play the flute. So mm. I would go back to what's in my wheelhouse, what's in my toolkit. And those are the things that I have in my toolkit. So I'd be like, okay, well, those are probably going to end up being elements of this in some way. And that maybe that's going to be the sort of the, what, what, how I'd craft it. And that's going to, it's going to be the consistent theme and it's going to be acoustic. It's going to have maybe some piano, some maybe some flute on it. And that's really going to be, that's going to be it. That's going to be that. So my, it would influence my, my instrument choices. It would influence, um, the sort of, I think it would influence the nature of the recording. It would influence what overdubbing you're doing. And I think it would, that, I think that what I would do is go back to, yeah, what, what, um, I have in my own personal armory is (laughs) and base it around that. Good. And I like your approach. Um, ben, what would, I mean, obviously you've got a, um, a much more experience in production, mm. I guess. Um, and everything, what would be your advice? What would you, what can you expect when you're self-producing, uh, good or bad? So um, first thing I'd, I'd take a, I'd go back to the songs. I'd take a look at the songs. Um, I'd, get get into the story of the song I'll, I'll see if i've got if if i've got that like if um if there's an emotional journey that can track that tracks through the through the lyric um i i feel like i can say this because 
most of my own work is quite like the lyrics are a, a, an important part like quite an important mm. part of, of what i do so yeah um it's important that for me as an artist that they're um they're they're present um and and considered so i would go back there um once i once i'd done that then it's about it's about being creative and um and so it's it's we've already talked about um setting up the the space in in a creative way um i really like your like what you were saying then chris about well what have you got what what, mm. what do i have access to and you know it, it's if you if you give those examples with the with the neptunes and with pharrell right well they had buckets yeah right and so that's that's the other thing too yeah. is like outside of the box think outside of the box you know like of course if you don't have a drum kit Right. right. What do you have? You don't have an actual kick drum. Well, what do you have? Well, pots and pans. Yeah, pots, pans. Um, you can use software to to detune. You know, so if you've got something that sounds a bit like a kick drum, but it's perhaps a little too toppy, there's not enough bottom ending. Well, you could um, pitch shift it down. You could stack it. You could take white noise, and you could there's stuff you can do with in in the box with EQ to kind of um, layer layer things up. Um, so all the while with with this um process though it's 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 coming back coming for me personally it will be coming back to the material like in what what's being spoken through this particular site why do i need that kick drum there in that place if i'm going to have one mm. and if i do have it what's the, the does the character need to be of that kick drum mm -hmm. right um but you can't you can't make those decisions until you really understand the song mm. now that's just my personal process mm. there are some people that just play mm. and then the song and the story and all of that that kind of emerges from the bottom up rather than the top down mm. yeah 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 um, so um yeah that's that's how i would do it and i, I would yeah every time you feel like you're coming up against a block it's like well how's what's the route around mm. That would that would be the mm. opening question. What's the route around? Mm. Okay, I you know, I can't I can't make a snare drum sound that <laughs> sounds like the one on the Black Album by right. Metallica, right? But <laughs> like, what can I do? You know, instead, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What can I do instead? And what's going to say the same thing as that snare drum sound, right? Because because that sound has um, it has a message. Uh, it's like um. This sounds aggressive. It sounds um, well. I mean, it, it, I, I've completely forgotten what that record sounds like. But um, <laughs> this sounds aggressive, and it sounds loud. And you know, um, the way that it's being hit makes me want to move my head forward and bash my head and whip my <laughs> hair back and forth. Um, and you can do that with another sound. Um, there's a yeah. I mean, for me, there's there's a clarity to that recording. Yeah, what's being said with that clarity? Well, that word, how can, how else can I create a sense of clarity uh, and combined with aggression? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in asking the question, well, that opens up a heap of possible answers. Yeah, definitely. You know? yeah. I, I mean, you know, um, one thing that you said, and of course that you've kind of reiterated to some degree, Ben. Um, um, you might not own everything that you want to own when you start to produce, but that's okay. Um, when I started, I had a USB microphone um, and Cubase and 
that didn't stop me. I didn't release anything, of course. Um, but that didn't stop me from starting to learn and acquire the skills that I need in order to, you know, get better. And, and You've got to start you somewhere, yeah. Everyone's got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. Um, when I, My first instrument wasn't a Baldwin piano or a, St a Steinway. It was a Casio keyboard. Yeah. Um, and... You know, even that keyboard had had sounds on it, which, in a way, in a way, I wish I kept that keyboard because today I'd use those sounds. You know, did it have the bossa nova demo button? Definitely. That's why I have that. this. Every. Definitely. That's why I, I have this it. thing here. By Excellent. the way. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, this this thing here. This this, like, my my. That's about. That's probably about 25, 30 years yeah, old. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be. My, 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 dad, my, dad, my dad bought it for me as a... Oh. I used to go and go and visit him, and he bought it for me as a thing that I could, I could oh. play on. And it's like... But, but just hearing those, it's like, this is just great. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it, it's so not like a piano. Yeah. But it's not a piano. It's just like it's just sort of piano-ish. It's not even trying to be at this. Yeah. Sometimes you don't point, want a piano sound. Yeah. You want something that's piano-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So piano-ish, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. You you appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. And, and that's what you've got to start to do uh, wherever you are. You might have um, Chris mentioned, you know, Garage Band, which is essentially a free DAW with. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to record and some stock sounds built in there and it comes free with your laptop if you buy from a big company who I'm not going to name um just in case you know um <laughs> and uh <laughs> and you start there and you just start with that um you start yeah. with wh where you are and you use what you have one of my uh pieces of advice I don't know why I've got two <laughs> pencils here but one of my pieces of advice keep two pencils yeah, yeah. keep always have two pencils yeah, yeah, yeah. in so, your hand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of my um pieces of advice right. uh, to many people that i um work with uh, who are maybe i'm mentoring or i'm teaching um buy one piece of gear and learn it inside out mm. so if you remember particularly guys when we were at university i didn't own 25 microphones mm. I, mm. I owned one yeah and today i'm recording percussion and i'll put this on there and today i'm recording vocals i'll put this on mm. there and so on and so forth and you learned how that particular thing worked and and you learned to take it and transfer the skills that you've acquired oh well actually if i place this microphone closer then there's a build-up in the low mid frequencies, um, and I want a little bit more low mid frequencies in my guitar, which I'm recording tomorrow. So I'll push my microphone closer. Um, you take that, you start applying it, and yeah. um, and you you're not overcomplicating anything. So you're applying limitations. Um, I think there's a real beauty in that, isn't there? There really is. And and um, there was that one microphone that they used to use all over the Stevie Wonder recordings. Um, it's known as the Stevie Wonder microphone, <laughs> the Electro Voice RE20, <laughs> which basically they used to use to use in kick drums, on on the amp of the roads, on, on his vocals, yeah. wow. you know, all of that stuff, because it, it helped to tie the sound together. Right, right. What what was your mic, Amir? I'm intrigued. To, like, what what was what were you what were you on? Um, I think it was just one by Studio Electronics. An, um, an SE Electronics one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just like a, a an entry-level condenser microphone 
kind of 200 quid yeah because it wasn't they just started coming in like the in from china around that time hadn't they and se electronics were one of the first first ones yeah yeah, yeah. that that was great mm. when you could when you could buy them yeah yeah and and you know obviously now the microphone market is if you're thinking of microphones to record vocals or buckets or whatever mm. um it's it's much better um the microphones that i use now that don't cost as much mm. yeah they 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 sound really good um there's a microphone i have um which i paid probably around 200 250 pounds for um it sounds phenomenal on everything yeah. mm. um and it's just like wow if i had this when i was at university I would have absolutely ripped it, but then again, you but know. But that's that's what's really funny because I remember a story somebody told, um, a producer told. I can't remember who it was. Um, they were talking about the Alanis Morissette album, that jagged little pill, mm. and um, they were talking about the pro recording process of it. And they said that she recorded all of her vocals for that album on a, mm. an SM57. Yes, yeah, seventy pounds <laughs> microphone, basically. Micro right? Yeah. And I was like. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> that album sold 33 million copies, and you're telling me that vocal was done with, with like a standard, like the most standard mic? I was just like, that's excellent. <laughs> and it was, and they tried everything else on her voice, but that was the thing that worked. That was the crazy part. They tried everything else, and they were like, yeah, yeah, this sounds best. Mm. It just sounds best. And and, mm -hmm. and this is what happens, and this is what you'll find. Actually, you might have bought a microphone for seventy pounds, which is like okay retail. Maybe the SM fifty seven is like eighty and a bit pounds. Mm. Um, but but you might have bought a microphone which doesn't cost a lot of money, but it suits your voice so perfectly. And actually. Someone can bring you a microphone that costs twelve thousand pounds, and you would go. It doesn't do the same thing. I'm go I'm going to record all my vocals on this in my room um, with a duvet behind me, and <laughs> you can you can completely just screw your three thousand pound a day studio because I don't want it. Yeah. Like uh, producing great work. With with kind of approaches like that is is more possible now mm, than ever. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you know um, the thing is yes we've discussed how we have more tools and things are more accessible and everything, but we have much more knowledge as well. Um, so we're sitting here talking about certain stories and certain approaches and so on, and there's like five or six other podcasts that might tell you something similar or different. And then there's the whole of the internet, which is, you know, I mean, YouTube alone is, is just, you know. Um, mm. So because of those things specifically, when we think about self-producing, it's good to keep in mind the things that we've said today. Um, but also just know that there's, if you come up against an obstacle, like Ben was saying, there's going to be a way around it. And it might not involve mon money. It might involve in you watching a YouTube video yeah. for 20 minutes about why your microphone sounds so bad, even though you thought it sounded good yeah. before. And you find out, oh, I've got it the wrong way around. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how easy that is to do. <laughs> Wait, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. 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 Just, fine, yeah. Just check yeah. your mic. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, Obviously, today's episode has been all about 
the art of recording and we've discussed you know to some degree the technicality of it the people who would be involved in the process all of that kind of stuff really the takeaway for me is to to not be scared to do stuff for yourself obviously to try and own a recording setup of your own if you can um and Obviously, try and have a very strong vision about what you want your record to sound like. Um, you don't need to fit into any sort of mold. Uh, try and create a style, whether that's using um, certain pieces of gear, teaming up with certain people, or whatever it is. Um, any parting words from you, Chris? Um, I think I just echo what you just said. Yeah, it's it's experiment and try and find ways of using what you've got at least to a certain extent but having i think you're right though you have to have a core like if you're like just to start for you what are the core i guess well you what what would be the core elements that you'd need to have because i would think that you'd need to have there's a little core elements that you need to have and then experiment with those and what would that be just a, a laptop an interface and a mic is that pretty much your starting yeah. it's that simple with yeah. some headphones on top yeah. and you know you're done yeah yeah you can make great yeah. records i promise you <laughs> and and i guess like the maybe the one i think because i think the story i really enjoy the stories behind it probably because it goes back to my marketing thing i like hearing about the stories behind something and how they came like the with the the michael jackson thing with the cone and like you know how they decided to you know yeah um uh i think that is uh the thing if you like the sound of something find out how it was done because you can probably find it it's probably all online somewhere there'll be some interview in some you know publication where you can find it out and and here's the funny thing um you know we've talked about people from the past michael jackson and we've um we've almost missed out i can't believe i've missed this out where was billy eilish's album produced oh is it it was in her brother's bedroom uh, and that's and that's yeah. the the story that's yeah it's that whole album bedroom production yeah that whole album was produced again huge selling album huge selling album obviously she's a massive artist yeah that album sounds great and you yeah. know her brother's a great producer but obviously the mix engineer mastering engineer did a great job hmm. yeah but you know it we also have a saying you can't polish a turd so hmm. it can't have been that bad in the first place right yeah um, so <laughs> yeah so there was the what they were working with some great raw material and to begin with mm -hmm. because it was good yeah. enough wasn't it yeah <laughs> like whatever it was i believe it was more Great than good enough well. you know i love that yeah that, yeah so you know that album uh, as chris said um that's some of the marketing was based off the back of that as well yeah absolutely it, there's, a, there's a great story there straight away it's absolutely you know, you know brother and sister team made this record in their bedroom and you know already that you've got so much to work with there from a sort yeah. of pr and marketing yeah um angle yeah exactly um ben any parting words from you um yeah one thing i would say is like uh, train your ears right um not just by listening to music like that's that's great use your reference material of course but the other thing is i like, just listen to the sounds of stuff right so mm. like if i'm mm. sat here i have a table right 
I could just look at it and go, oh, look, it's a table. Great, I can put stuff on. That's what you do with tables. <laughs> but actually, it's also an instrument, right? Mm, yeah, of course. If I change the things that I'm hitting it with, the sound changes, mm. right? Just remember that you live in a, an auditory environment as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and take things that you wouldn't ordinarily use an instrument and mm. see how they sound. And yeah. you'll, you'll clock things. Like, I've got some... Um, up here, I have some, um, they're old metal pan tops. Oh, yeah. And they, they just resonate in, in, in a way that yeah. you wouldn't expect from a pan top. Mm. Like, would it be too weird? Shall I show you? Would it be too weird for me to... Oh, would well, that be yeah. weird? Shall well, I, do you want to hear? I mean, you're okay. going to have to do it now, aren't you? <laughs> While he's doing that, I'll tell you that I once used a humidifier as a conga drum a conga <laughs> that's a conga drum that's amazing because um, i couldn't I find that. anything else and i was like oh i had this humidifier mm, okay mm, that's quite nice okay okay so i got I, I have there, there oh are two my, here you're not joking they really are no just they really are pot lids right <laughs> so listen and you'll be you should be able to hear two distinct tones right and I'll move one nearer to the mic, um, and then I'll move the other one nearer to the mic, so you can hear them like the the balance change. But interesting. Mm. Like this one's still going. Yeah. Yeah. Like the sustain on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mad. You know, I could record those. I could pitch shift them. I could put them in a sampler. Yeah. I could do whatever I want with them. So Ben, when when are we expecting your record with um with metal pan tops? <laughs> I'm here for it. Are you? I'm ready for it. Let's have it. Again, if you did that, I could I could put you a nice marketing plan, yeah. a PR story around that. I really could. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, but you're absolutely right. And you know what, Ben? Um, I think you're right. We've we've always got to use our ears. Um, that is the key. Developing your ears is number one. Um, the number one thing you want to do, obviously musically, but obviously in terms of all sonics, um, all of the sonics, just just listen to your environment. Um, let's wrap up today's episode, by, guys, by saying um, thank you to everyone for listening. We do appreciate you. We love you very much. Um, if you love us, that is. No, but even if you don't, we even love if you. you don't. Yeah. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be requi uh, required. Nor reciprocated. And, and and obviously, if you don't love us, then you need the love that we're giving to you. I would say. Um, I would say if you can like, subscribe, follow, do all of those kind of things. Show notes we will have, obviously, as we always do, available for you um, after the show has gone out. And um, in closing, I just wanted to say um, thank you to my co-hosts Ben and Chris. You guys are the best, of course. Um, and we shall see you on the next one. Next one. Ciao. Bye.